Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Well, there are some people out there in the world who routinely commit crimes against literature. I wonder if you've met them. In fact, I suspect there may be even people in this room who do so. Those people who check how the story ends before you get to the end, who flick to the last page of the story before you get to it, people who find out who done it before it's even done. And I think it's just wrong. I think it's outrageous and I've often thought that there must be lurking in the psyche of people like that something dark. (laughs) And so I thought, surely someone's done some research on this. So I I looked it up and I found some research on people who do flick to the end of the story. (laughs) And I expected to find that such people have some, you know, there's some dark correlation between that and being uh, something like a Collingwood supporter. (laughs) (laughs) And then I realised that's impossible because Collingwood supporters don't read. (laughs) Now that I've alienated half the room. (laughs) uh, I, I discovered a... There was a a study done in the University of California and actually, to my surprise, what they discovered was that the people who actually do that enjoy the book more. Isn't that surprising? And I assume it's because, you know, whatever the twists and the turns of the the story, however bad things get, they're they're not worried about it because they know where it's going. They know it's going to be okay in the end. Uh, It surprised me. But I wonder whether it shouldn't have surprised me because, of course, that's what God's done, isn't it? He's told us the end of the story before we get there. And I wonder if he's done it for the same reason in the twists and turns and the, the dark things that happen in our life. Knowing how the story ends gives us hope, gives us peace. So today, uh, we're going to do that thing that I I say is terrible. We're going to flick to the end of the story. We're going to flick to the end of the story of the cross. Now, we're going to look at this in two ways. In one sense, we're just going to look at the end of the story, like that's where the story ends. But I think for most of our time, we're actually going to be looking at the end, the goal, the purpose of the story. So over the last two days, uh, we've been looking at the story. We've seen the start of the story. It's before the foundation of the world. Uh, The heart of the story is the love of God, the love of God the Father for the Son, the Son for the Father, which overflows uh, to love for the world and for us. And so today we're flicking to the back of the book and looking at the end. The very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22 Uh, The end of all things, that great depiction of the glorious reality that the whole Bible has actually been driving towards, Uh, we read in verse 3, Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. 
Now, why do I think that's a picture of the cross at the very end of things? Well, it's the same lamb as we read about in Revelation chapter 5, the lamb who was slaughtered, standing as if slaughtered, the lamb who was sacrificed in our place, who ransomed us. It's talking about the cross. Uh, Jesus is actually described as a lamb more often than anything else in Revelation. Now, 29 times he's described as the lamb. And we see that his lambness, who he is as the one who died on the cross, is actually the key reality that forms eternity and is Jesus' key identity in his reign. So what's my point? Well, next week we're, we're going to begin Holy Week and we'll remember again the events of the cross. But as we do that, as we are looking back to that event of the cross happening, uh, it, we're not simply looking back to a, an historical event. We're looking at an event that has present power and is actually future forming. As we look back to the cross, it should throw us forward to the end. And that's why you never really leave the cross behind. There's a picture as you become a Christian, it's a very powerful picture of coming and you've got your sins on your back and you walk to the foot of the cross and you lay it down and then you walk on. But actually the cross, you, you never really get past the cross. The cross never recedes into the rear view mirror until it finally disappears from sight. It actually remains in full view on the horizon and beyond. Uh, something uh, that goes to the very end of the story where all of its action is finally fulfilled and is gloriously celebrated. Uh, so it's there at the end of the story, but, but what's its end? What's, its, what's God's purpose in it all? Uh, what's the goal of the cross? Well, it's to save sinners, yes, and as glorious as that is and wonderful as that is, the purposes of God are actually even broader and larger than that. In fact, it's way too broad and it's way too large to give you a 20-minute sermon on. Uh, and so I've limited myself to the purposes of God in the cross that we find in our reading from Revelation chapter 5. The end of the goal or the goal of the cross was to purchase a people, ransom saints, to establish his kingdom and, uh, number three, to bring praise and honour and glory to Jesus. Uh, so firstly, uh, a purchased people. Uh, verse 9. The elders sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slaughtered and by your blood you ransomed for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. What was God's purpose in the cross? What was it all leading towards? A purchased people, or in the words of uh, 1 Peter, a holy nation, or in the NRSV uh, translation, ransomed saints. Now, to really get this picture, you have to go to a slave market. So imagine that you are deeply in debt. It may not be very hard for you, <laughs> but imagine you're deeply in debt. Uh, back in New Testament times, if you were deeply in debt and you could not pay it back, uh, one thing that could happen is that you are sold 
into slavery. And so the terrible day comes. There's a knock at the door. It's the debt collector. And you know what's going to happen. He comes in through the door, the chains put around your neck. You see the chains put around the neck of your family and you think, what on earth have I done? And you're led out to the slave market. And uh, you have no future. You can see no hope going forward. But then there's a bit of a stir at the back and the crowds part and the son of the king comes into the market and he walks right up to you and he looks you in the face and he looks upon you with such love and he says, I'll pay. I'll ransom this one. I'll redeem this one. Can you imagine that moment? And the chains taken off you. But what's the price? Well, Revelation 5, he was slaughtered. And by his blood, you were ransomed. That's a cross, isn't it? You've been purchased, you've been ransomed. Now, the decisive event has happened in the purchase, but the goal wasn't just your freedom. The son of the king doesn't come up to you and say, uh, I'll, I'll purchase you and, and the chains come off and then says, uh, well, enjoy your freedom. Off you go. No, he's actually purchased you for something. In Revelation 5, verse 9, you've been purchased. His, his purpose in, in freeing you is that you would come and live with the king, that you would live for God, verse 9, to make a holy people. And as we look back, we can see that we were declared forgiven. But what was the end? It's actually to be made holy, to be made saints, people who live for God. The end is not just forgiveness, but holiness. And we can read in Revelation that there will be a day when you and I are perfectly holy and everyone that we live with is perfectly holy and perfectly living for God. Can you imagine that? Are you imagining that? If what you've got in your head as you imagine that is something kind of a little bit boring, kind of some shining, heart-filled blandness, then you haven't really imagined that. Have a think about your last week. Think back over your last week. What, if everyone interacted, you interacted with, was living perfectly for God, how would it be different? If you had been living perfectly for God, how would it be different? What pains disappear? Uh, what joys are heightened? I can uh, tell you our newspapers and our news feeds would have been different in the last week, wouldn't they? Uh, I thought about this. I, I got out a paper and uh, I thought, well, what would be different here? So in the last week, we've had a, heard a whole lot about sexual harassment of women in federal parliament. 
and uh, society at large. And some of the things you read is what's the answer is we need to educate men more or, or well, some of the people, and I think this is terrible to say, well, women need to start wearing different things or doing things differently. Uh, but what's actually the answer? We need men to be holy. That's what needs to happen. Men need to be holy. Men, you're ransomed saints. Live for God. You were bought at a price, Jesus' perfect sacrifice. So with your bodies, glorify the Lord. And you know, one of the terrible things about sin, one of the you know, many terrible things about sin, is that even when you're sinned against, you can end up feeling unclean. Even when you're the victim, you can end up feeling unclean. And you feel shame. Well, if that's, if that's you, then you also need to know that there will come a day when you will be totally holy. Uh, there will come a day you are in Christ, you are a ransomed saint. You've been washed, you've been made clean, you have been redeemed from that. And, and perhaps you even know that. I expect if you're here, you probably know that in your head, but perhaps you still struggle with it. And... Uh, you struggle with the effects of it. Well, the end of the story of the cross has been written. And in it, the struggle is over. And you are whole. And you are holy. Can you imagine the exponential light of a whole community of people living perfectly and holy for God? Uh, and this ransom community of saints is from every tribe and nation. So last week, uh, the United States and China came together in a diplomatic meeting. And the thing that was most notable about this meeting was how undiplomatic it was. It's kind of scary living in a world where the two greatest superpowers feel like dissing each other uh, or worse. Well, the end of the world has been written and in it the nations have come together and they're not looking at each other. They've turned and they've looked to Christ and they're living for Christ. That's the end of the story. Uh, so the end of the goal uh, or the goal of the cross was to, one, purchase the people, ransom saints, two, to establish his kingdom. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God and they will reign on earth. So as we look back and see our forgiveness, we can see our forgiveness. But as we look forward to the end of the story, we see a kingdom. It's the same kingdom we actually pray for really regularly. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. At the end of the story of the cross, you rule as you serve God. You know, you treat royalty a little bit differently, don't you? I imagine, it, like, if the queen came through the door right now, I'd feel like we'd, ha we'd have to stop the service, wouldn't we? And say, welcome, your majesty. Uh, come and sit next to Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> it's the place of the greatest, greatest honour. That's right, welcome. Uh, you treat royalty differently, don't you? Well, the person sitting next to you right now is royalty. 
They're going to rule. And so will you. Uh, the story of the cross says is kind of the story of your coronation. Now, I wonder if you've ever imagined actually being the Queen of England. Wouldn't that be actually not very nice now that I come to think of it? <laughs> but imagine, imagine just for a day the unlimited wealth, the horses, all the other really good stuff. Uh, wouldn't, that be, wouldn't that be wonderful? Actually, if you're imagining that, you're imagining a demotion. Because at the end of the story of the cross says you're going to rule the world uh, together with us all. Isn't that wonderful? And uh, how does his kingdom come? It's made by the power of the cross. The cross establishes the kingdom. It's the lamb who is slaughtered. Uh, who has done the work that establishes the kingdom and breaks out the holiness into the world. Um, and it's not, so it's not just a ticket to heaven, is it? It's not just a ticket to get you through the pearly gates, but actually it brings about, it's the power and the cause of the establishment of the kingdom and the renewal of all things of heaven and of earth. Can you see that although it is about your personal salvation, it's actually bigger than that. One of the, I was trying to think about how this actually applies in, in ministry. And I think it works, it works often like, like this. I think, so the, it's, it's Jesus who makes a kingdom, who's made you to be a kingdom and priest. But I think often in ministry, we turn that around and we go, what actually, what am I do, I'm doing in ministry is I'm making a kingdom, which I then present to the Lamb. And we may not think that in our heads, in our minds, but I think often we live that functionally in our ministries. So what does that look like? It could look like an 80 to 90 hour week because you actually don't believe that the church can grow unless you're working that hard. And I think it's actually you've just inserted yourself into John 5 when Jesus is talking and he says, my father is always at work and I am always at work. I'm being functionally Jesus for the kingdom here. I think another way it looks is, is prayerlessness. Because if I think I'm bringing in the kingdom and then presenting it to God, uh, he's kind of at the end of the process. I don't really need to, to pray. Whereas if you actually really deeply believe that it's, if I believe that it's Jesus who's going to bring the kingdom into Cranbourne, then one of my main jobs is to say, Jesus, would you bring the kingdom into Cranbourne, please? And would you be so kind as to do it through me and others? Uh, it's, it's really different. And I think the other, the other thing it looks like is that if you believe, really believe that the kingdom is brought in by Jesus, when you see the kingdom grow, you will not take the glory. And it's really hard, I think, for ministers, and there's always a danger that because you're standing up the front and you're doing things and, and if you're doing them really well and things are going really well and the church is growing, everyone says, well, you are a wonderful minister. And I say, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad at last you've noticed. 
Isn't that awful? Isn't it wonderful that Jesus is doing an amazing thing amongst us? I'm still surprised myself. Uh, it's, yeah. But it's so easy to do. It's so easy to do. So, uh, number one, he's the ultimate goal, the ultimate purpose is uh, purchase of people, ransom saints. Number two, to establish the kingdom. And so, number three, to bring praise. And this, I think, is the ultimate, the ultimate goal and purpose of the cross. is actually to bring praise and glory to Jesus Christ. In the end, of the story is the story of how Jesus is glorified and honoured and praised above all things. So verse 11, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with full voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. There are ever-widening circles of praise. It's wonderful, isn't it? The first, the elders, and then the living creatures, and then the myriads and thousands of, of angels. And finally, all of creation is swept up in praise of the Lamb, of Jesus Christ. Can you, can you see yourself there? There at the end of the story, caught up in the wonder and the glory and the might and the sheer worthiness of the Lamb who was slain, who sits on the throne, Jesus, who is your life. Well, in a week ahead, we're going to look back and we're going to see the cross upon the hill. But I hope that as you do next week, you might also see that point, that thing, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and you perfectly swept up into it. That's the goal, the end of the story. I haven't really told you the story of the cross over the last three days. Uh, I've just kind of dipped into a few little things. It's a wonderful story. It's a story I think we're just going to be telling each other for eternity uh, and bowing in wonder at the glory of who Jesus is. Uh, let's pray that he brings us to that day. He will. as we uh, come before you, our Lord, only through the blood of the cross, that even this, that as we speak to you, is only possible through what you've done in Christ on the cross. And so uh, we praise you and thank you and honour you. You are worthy of all praise, of all that we are. Uh, Heavenly Father, help us to see the wonder and the glory of what you have done in the story of the cross. And Father, would you constantly be raising our eyes to that which you're calling us to, uh, that which you have promised us, so that no matter the twists and the turns of today, uh, we might see the glory of your cross, the glory of the Lamb, and the wonder of eternity with you. Amen.